Hi everyone, this is Divya, the CEO and founder of Dialogue Room, and welcome to another podcast episode with us. In the past few episodes, we've spoken to startup founders in the edtech sector, the legal tech sector, you know, Map My India, which uses a lot of technology. So we're seeing that technology is playing a very central role, and most startups are tech enabled, which also means that they're using a lot of data. Now, data has become very central and very key to the conversation today uh, with the Facebooks and the Twitter of the world, right? Data is very important. Data is considered the new oil, the gold and everything. And if you can use it well, you can transform your startup fairly quickly, you know, help in its growth, target the right customers, the audience. But a lot of us don't even realize what data should we collect. And once we've collected it, how to analyze it right so you can use it well. There's so much data on data that it's hard to get lost in it all. So to break it down for us today, I've invited Havish to our podcast, who runs his own data analytics firm. Hi, Havish, and welcome to the Dialogue Now podcast. Hi, Devya. Pleasure to be here. So, Havish, you've handled a lot of projects for you know the Ministry of Tourism, the World Bank, Business World, Economic Times. You know, you consult and train clients on using data better and improving efficiency. So, you know, you're very, you're very in tune with what's happening in data and data analytics. So walk us through what the changing role of data is nowadays, and especially during COVID, should we see a change in the way data has been collected and used? Is there a spike now going forward with data collection? Sure. Um, when it comes to data, it's interesting because there really haven't been many inflection points. You know, so if I look back at the last 20 years or so where I have been working on data extensively, there really aren't those specific years when something dramatic shifted. I think it's more of a gradual change and people who have been in the industry have sort of lived through that change and we continue to see that change happening. Um, the reason we hear about data a lot more now is probably more to do with the fact that organizations are capturing more information and hence they are at a position wherein they realize that, you know, they have this treasure trove of information with them and they can really deliver business insights from it. Um, we do expect a, sh- a slight shift to happen post COVID, but uh, interestingly, I don't really see us capturing more data necessarily. It is more on the lines of analyzing it better. Um, a case and example, last month or so, I have been doing a lot of remote workplace surveys with different clients. And these are unicorns. These are um, Fortune 500 companies. And the purpose of doing these surveys is primarily to assess whether managers are willing to have their employees work from home continuing forward. If you look at a six month or an 18 month time period. So like I said earlier, it's not so much to do with aggregating more data. I think all companies already have more data than they require. I think now is the time where everybody is sitting back and trying to figure out what to do with it and what insights to derive from it. Agreed, Havish. The change has been more gradual in terms of data. But having said that, now organizations are becoming more data savvy. There is an emergence of a strong data culture within more data is being generated, like you said, which also leads to there being more unstructured data within an organization. So how should one even balance this? No pun intended. I think the biggest cultural shift that is going to happen in organizations related to data is the fact that there is now a data culture. 
Um, prior to this, we saw that companies were basically outsmarting each other and used to compete with other players in the industry on the merit of the amount of data they were capturing. So it's not uncommon for a company to say that, hey, look, we have captured more data than our immediate competitor. What happens now is that stakeholders and board of directors and even customers, different stakeholders, are asking the companies, what are you doing with it? Are you using it for our betterment? Are you using it to become more socially responsible? Are you using it to become a better company and get a better return to the stakeholders? So the shift that is going to happen is the fact that across the board, at different levels in the organization, the data culture is expected to seep in. So whether it's a fresher or an engineer, a graduate engineer trainee who's coming in, or whether it's somebody at the CXO level, everybody is being expected to understand how to consume data. That's again something I would like to talk about. Everybody talks about data aggregation and data analysis, but data consumption also requires a certain type of skill set. And that is what organizations are upskilling their people to do. You also mentioned the difference between structured and unstructured data. Interestingly, there are predictions that say that in the next 10 years, we will have more unstructured data compared to structured. And a lot of companies find this very interesting because they feel that since we are having better software today and data is being captured in a more organized manner, we would expect it to be more structured. But on the contrary, it is going to be more unstructured. And the simple reason for that is that voice is going to play a big part. Vernacular is going to play a big part and text analytics is going to play a big part. For example, there are organizations that are capturing hundreds and thousands of statements by employees. For example, a manager might say that as a part of the employee appraisal, the employee is doing well, but is probably not suited for a promotion. As it stands right now, there are very few companies who are capable of analyzing this qualitative statement and coming up with an actionable insight. But as more and more AI and ML becomes a part of organizations, you will see that organizations start to analyze this sort of information as well. So the first one would be data culture. The second one is how more unstructured data is going to start getting gathered. And the third point is self-service business intelligence. Earlier, the analyst would be dependent on the IT team to help configure the systems and the backend. But with self-service business intelligence tools like Tableau and Power BI, there is a shift wherein we don't really need an IT personnel who will write a query for us and get us data from the databases so that we can do analysis on it. But essentially, it becomes self-service, which is to say that the employee can himself or herself capture the information as well as analyze it. And I think that's going to have a very big impact as well. Understood. That's a very interesting point of view. Moving forward, Havish, you know, we know a lot of startups are using data. Is it actually necessary for most startups to use data? Data is sector agnostic, but there would be more companies that can benefit from using data better. Could you walk us through some industry examples on, you know, what kind of sectors are nowadays using data the right way and therefore, um, growing their startup right? There are loads of examples of both established as well as startups that are using data. Um, it would be a little hard to pick any one instance. I think uh, fintech companies, for example, are, are using data as core to their business. So it's not the technology that helps them have a USB in the market or to differentiate themselves. 
is the way that they are capturing and analyzing the data that helps them stand apart. So I had the opportunity of uh, partnering with one of the fintech players a couple of years back. And they were in a business of issuing out loans to people with poor or moderate credit history. And it was amazing to see that even the way they were structuring the data capture had a lot of impact in the way they were processing these loans. So usually this process is supposed to be very objective in nature. And it's a very mechanical process wherein you take multiple data points from the prospective loan seeker and you give them a rating on each one of these parameters and you issue out a loan. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how they were capturing the data, you know, they managed to raise some funding and really their pitch to the investor was that, see, we're using the same technology and the same platforms as all the other people out there. But it is simply the way we are, we are using the data that helps us stand apart. Uh, another example from a larger company would be Cargill, which is a $200 billion food giant. Cargill has um, been one of the leaders when it comes to using data sets at an enterprise level within the organization. Cargill was invested in Tableau way back. So Tableau is the world's largest business intelligence platform. It started in 2003. And Cargill really helped Tableau grow. So they really helped each other grow. And what they have done is that inside the organization, they have created what they call COEs, Center of Excellence. And Inside the organization, they have these test units. For example, if they are capturing more data and they want to analyze it, they would never do it with real business data sets because that might have a negative impact or when you're trying it out for the first time, there might be some results that come that are not so accurate. And what Cargill has really managed to, through a method of iteration, clean up and create a robust mechanism over the last few years has been an ability to create multiple centers of excellences within the organization. So you can consider them as silos. So there are different teams within the organization at any given point of time who are working with data, who are experimenting, and this is what they call a sandbox. So the teams are told to do whatever and everything that they want to with the data set, not be fearful of the fact that there might be a repercussion or the result might not be what they're expecting. And Cargill has been very successful because they've seen that uh, lots of interesting insights that otherwise in a protected, safe environment would probably not come out, especially come out when you let people really have fun and play with the data they want. Got it. So we've spoken about how if a company, organization, startup uses data, right, lets its employee play around with data, like you said, it will benefit them. But what about the other aspect of the coin here, Havish? Privacy, Right. Um, we're seeing that there's a data-driven culture, people are using data more, but what of privacy? That's a very, very important point to talk about, especially today. We've seen a lot of scandals go down, data is being used to manipulate elections. So uh, what's going to happen here? Absolutely. Um, I think the pace at which data capture and analytics has grown exponentially over the last decade, uh, privacy has not really had an opportunity to catch up with it. Um, And this is around the world, across all the countries and all the industries. Everybody is in the same boat here. Uh, Everybody got so excited at the fact that they were capturing more information and they're able to analyze their customers and stakeholders better. Nobody really bothered to handle the privacy angle. And I think that's where a lot of companies are now sitting back and realizing. Of course, the social media companies usually are in the scanner because they are the ones who are actively handling sort of millions and billions of users. But uh, this is true for every company out there. You know, you would see a uh, Tata Motors and a uh, Maruti Suzuki also 
pay a lot of attention to the way data privacy is being handled, even internally within the organization. Because we have so much data coming in, even within an organization, different functions perhaps are not given access to another function. And the fact that now all the data is being aggregated into one single pool. Data privacy has literally become a part of a conversation for every project that we handle with the client now. Hmm. Um, of course, if you break it down, you would see that the US is uh, probably one of the worst when it comes to handling data. Uh, Europe really took the first step when it came up with the GDPR guidelines. Right. But I think it's, uh, it's, it's too little. I really feel that organizations all have to come together. Bodies, industries have to come together. And they really have to have an open conversation with customers and different stakeholders to really understand how the data capture that is happening will also have a parallel data privacy that will be kept in mind. Yes, you're right. Um, EU has always been more strict when it comes to data regulation and privacy. Of course, with the United States, we're seeing, um, you know, from election manipulation, calling all these, uh, the big guys, um, swearing them in and asking them questions, you know, most recently, I saw that Netflix documentary on the social dilemma and the kind of data uh, these companies are capturing. And honestly, it's scary. Yes, they've dramatized the situation a lot, but it is true. Um, they, it is being captured. Um, you know, and more and more so when India is opening up its doors to international players like the Facebook Geo deal, there's a lot of data sharing arrangements that are also happening possibly under the table because the Data Protection Bill of India has not seen the light of day. Uh, so they're not really being regulated uh, other than what their privacy policy states, which is quite light on data pr protection and privacy. So what are your thoughts on this aspect, Havish? This is what we bargained for. Um, I think the reliance deals that are happening um, is, uh, is a bit too much. And I think uh, they very smartly decided to do it during this period. But uh, to cut the long story short, um, there are a lot of eyes on these deals happening because um, clearly the fact that uh, organizations like a Google or Facebook investing, they're all doing it off because of profit, right? They all have an ulterior motive. And for Facebook, the only thing that matters to them is data capture. And um, the fact that is these uh, probably are going to create monopolies. So if you look at the fact that Vodafone and Idea now are together, but there is a possibility that in the years to come, they're not able to pay their dues to the government. And really, you will only have ATIL and Geo in the market. I think anti-competition, anti-competitive practices will also become a part of conversations. I don't think India is um, any worse off compared to other countries out there. I think um, all the countries, excluding probably the ones in Europe, are essentially in the same boat. Uh, China, of course, is an outlier because you know the, the way they handle their companies and businesses within their boundary is very different to the rest of the world. But I wouldn't really go to the extent of saying that India is any worse off than other people. I think we have to be as careful or probably a little more because we have an opportunity, right? I think we can learn from the mistakes that have already happened um, in the US and probably come up with a more robust mechanism. Yeah, so almost see how the West has played out and then use kind of those policies, you know, because you need to have, you need to be able to protect data the right way, but not stifle innovation. You should be able to learn from data. I think that's the most important thing. 100%. We can't be fearful of the fact that more data will be captured and uh, sometimes data will be fudged and privacy uh, will not be there and uh, data sets would be hacked. Um, 
we had done a project with the World Bank a couple of years back, and um, and I was just going through the news and I saw that the ease of doing business index that happens every year, which is a very prestigious ranking of all the countries in the world, there were a lot of fingers raised on it because people said that the data has been tampered with, and uh, now they are essentially redoing the entire survey globally. Now, see, uh, in an ideal world, these things shouldn't happen, and I think this is what CXOs have to understand that. This is not an afterthought. Handling data privacy cannot be an afterthought. It has to be thought of from the ground up. The moment when an organization is deciding at an enterprise level to set up a data architecture to capture more data, that is where these are the early days when data privacy also has to be put in place. Um, you know, it's uh, it's funny. Like we see organizations getting hacked literally every month, and it continues to happen. I mean, Twitter gets hacked so often; it's it's a joke now. Yeah, and it's. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we can uh, just learn from it. And not that a lot of companies are doing that as we speak, but uh, I think companies will get into action, especially with the U.S. national elections coming up. I think this this time, because Facebook has already did a blunder once and they have admitted to the guilt. I think this time how they play it will have a lot of, because I think all eyes are on them. And I think the way they're going to play these elections is going to have a, big impact in terms of how data privacy guidelines will be created around the world. I think you're absolutely right. And I think by what you meant that Facebook admitted to the guilt was the Cambridge Analytica scandal where, uh, you know, data of around 50 million Facebook users was collected without their permission to target potential Trump voters during the 2016 U.S. presidential election. So, um, you know, definitely, uh, yes, uh, let's see how that plays out. So we've spoken about Privacy is important. We need to ensure that it's being collected the right way, data. So how do you create A, a positive data-driven culture in an organization? B, me being a startup founder, how should I determine how much data should I collect? Is it just on a pure need-to-know basis? How do I even create a positive data collection business plan? I think the first thing I always tell my clients is quality over quantity. I think collecting more data really has uh, no positive correlation with the sort of business help that it will give you. You always have to focus more on the quality of data that is being captured. You know, we always say in information technology, garbage in, garbage out. So if you're collecting rubbish data to begin with, then no matter how much you massage it and how much you force it to talk, it will never really give you any actionable insights. Other things that especially startups and maybe small businesses can work on is to invest in the next five years. You know, a lot of companies I see even today, and these are large organizations, billion-dollar companies, they're still working on 10-year, 15-year-old systems. For example, there are large organizations in India with whom I have worked who are still working on 2003 and 2007 Microsoft Office, despite the fact that there have been multiple versions released after that. Number one, why does it happen? It happens because for an organization to shift to a better system also means that a lot of people also have to shift along with it. They have to invest a lot of time and energy into upskilling people. And obviously, number two is a cost factor. Investing in newer technologies does take a little more money. But uh, I mean, if you look at history, organizations that have been investing in technology right from day one have all, always reaped the benefit. So I think for organizations that are starting today, my uh, two cents of advice would be do not invest in what you need right now. Invest in what you feel you would require a couple of years later. When I 
completed my MBA in 2009, I remember data scientist was not a term. Data scientist, quote unquote, as a term was introduced for the first time in 2012 by Harvard Business Review. And they very nicely captioned a data scientist as the sexiest job of the 21st century. And imagine in the last nine years, we have literally come from zero to a point where everybody knows that there is something called a data scientist. You know, and we read these articles about the number of jobs that are being created and the fact that, you know, there is a shortage of data scientists in the industries. That just goes to show you that all these people who are predicting the future, the next five, 10 years, don't know anything. Like, if you really speak to the experts, they would always tell you that, you know, it's a wait and watch game. But one thing is for sure, change is the only constant, especially when it comes to data. The next five years might look very different to how we are looking at it right now. For example, I was completely invested as a business in Microsoft Excel in spreadsheet modeling five years back. And now perhaps only 50% of my work happens on it because I have all, we have all branched out to different technologies and different platforms. And if you ask me today, Habish, where do you see yourself five years down the line? My only answer is going to be, I will be invested in the platform, which is sort of the trend at that time. It's very early to comment on, um, I mean, it would be impossible for us to comment on how data will go through the passage of time in the future. But I think investing in newer technologies, investing in technologies for the future, investing in artificial intelligence and machine learning. I know everybody says this all the time, but the truth is that you have to invest in these platforms. It may not help you from a six month or a 12 month uh, sort of strategy, but when you look at it from a long-term vision, investing in technologies always reaps the benefits. You know, Havish, now that you've brought it up, I want to pick on it. You spoke about artificial intelligence and machine learning, right? So AI and ML. Um, there's so much, again, uh, contest in this that they're going to threaten jobs a lot. You know, I was speaking to, so we did a podcast on Dialogue Now with a legal analytics firm, Legal Minds, who were using artificial intelligence to uh, improve the casework of uh, litigation lawyers, Right. And uh, a lot of them, when they approach their software with their products to their clients, which are lawyers, they always say that maybe the, you know, the secretarial staff, the paralegal staff who actually now go through these hundreds and hundreds of cases to try and find the right judgment, which their boss can use. It may nullify their jobs. Right. It may, uh, you know, it they may not be needed as much. But he was of the mindset that actually AI, if you use it, the right way doesn't threaten jobs, it will improve jobs. So what is your thoughts on AI and ML and the, you know, the job economy? We shouldn't be scared, but we should be very cautious. I think for all industries, some more so than others, uh, AI is definitely going to have a direct and a considerable impact. And jobs are not going to go away. Jobs have already started to disappear. If you look at, uh, especially, let's say, the... Um, the information technology outsourcing sector, or if you look at the banking sector, you see that organizations are already investing in robotic process and automation platforms and jobs are already going away. I have, I have been a part of these projects and we've seen this happening over the last few years. And believe me, this uh, trend will only grow from here. Uh, all the big giants in the industry, so Microsoft, Amazon, IBM, they're all investing in their own RPA platforms with a very simple agenda. They want to have fewer people do more work with better efficiency. The way an organization looks at it, rather than paying 10 lakhs of salary to an individual, they would rather invest 15 lakhs in a software which will do the work for them with 100% accuracy, zero errors, and uh, they can use that technology for the next 10 years. Uh, 
um but i still feel that uh, i think people people get too scared about the fact that jobs are going to go away i think whenever a big shift happens in the industry whenever an industrial revolution comes uh, this is the same fear that everybody has you know when the first industrial revolution came everybody thought that jobs are going to go away and they did but uh, but there were also new jobs that were created yeah i think the conversation is more in the lines of what should people do to upskill themselves and make sure they don't become obsolete going forward rather than being too fearful about what's going to happen i think the ones who are fearful are the ones who are not investing in their learning i know we have been saying this all our lives but uh, the truth is that you know i do a lot of one on one trainings with uh, cxos from around the world and mm-hmm. you would see 50 year old bankers and investment heads and ceos of fmcg giants who are investing in their own learning because they realize that the next 10 years are probably going to be very different to the last 40 years that they have been in the industry and um, and i think it, that that is what it all boils down to i think it's again you know it's like ai and ml nobody can predict it but we can at least prepare for it but one thing is for sure it is going to have a huge impact and jobs are going to go away of course some industries more so than others but change doesn't happen overnight you know change is a gradual shift that you know it's like soil erosion you look back at the last 10 years and you say yes it happened but when you actually see it happening you don't realize it and i think that's where a lot of companies are underprepared because uh, they never really know when to start preparing and what to do about it but i think the smart ones are the ones who are planning for it and who are a little cautious thanks for that havish someone like me who also has minimal understanding of data i'm suddenly understanding the centrality of it all even in you know and how much data should i be collecting in dialogue room and am i doing it right um moving forward i happened to stumble across an interview of bill gates where he said a lot of smart thinking is needed in different industries to make sure data is being used the right way and it benefits the industry without stifling innovation we spoke about it a little but i want to expand on it now um for example the healthcare sector right uh there is data on it that say a particular drug what are the side effects of these drugs and that these certain number of people cannot use this drug because there is that data on it so of course the medical records aren't being publicly available but researchers do have access to see the data and then pinpoint hey these people can't use this drug so the health field has moved a little further along and we are seeing a surge of it during covid-19 as well with health tech startups everyone wants to be in this game if you compare it to say the education sector that may not be the case for example if you want to find out uh, data on which schools are doing the best job of teaching low income students there may not be so much data on that so what are your thoughts on this this sort of the sector play when it comes to data it has to do with two factors one is the nature of the industry itself and the other is the fact that there is always a rush towards an industry when something significant happens a case an example would be right now since we are undergoing a global health crisis as it stands you see that there is a lot of investment moving into health and um, i mean i hate to say it but we have seen this these bubbles happening so often now that it it almost seems foolish that companies still fall for it um but also the nature of the industry you know health industry by nature is an industry wherein you know for many years we have been trying to move to electronic health records and 
Bill Gates obviously has been a philanthropist and he's been a big proponent of the way um, data can really help solve health crises, especially in the underprivileged countries in the world. But, you know, by the nature of the industry, I think the way artificial intelligence, machine learning can have a big impact on health is just to do with how the industry operates, you know, the way that all data is being captured neatly and in an organized manner. On the other hand, if you look at EdTech, I think EdTech is more about the content and the marketing and other USPs that you have. Uh, There is very minimal use of data, as you correctly put, that organizations need because there really isn't much that, you know, you would need to do. To be more specific, I think rather than industries using data more, uh, the way they use data is going to significantly change. You know, a simple example that I always give is the fact that Microsoft Excel, you know, which is the bread and butter of organizations, Mm -hmm. it was launched in 1985. So it's been there for about 35 years. And, you know, we can chart the time period where significant changes have happened. So I think the last significant change that happened was in 2007. For the last 13 years, there really hasn't been a big shift in the way Microsoft Excel is used. And Microsoft Excel is used by 1.2 billion users worldwide. But in 2020, we have seen that Microsoft has committed itself to what they call self-service analytics, right? So they want to democratize AI. They feel that AI should not be in the hands of bigger companies and of IT specialists and organizations that can invest a lot of time and money in it. I think uh, they want everybody, every individual, small businesses to also use and leverage the capability of artificial intelligence. So if you look at the way Microsoft Office is rapidly coming up with new features, now you have a feature on Microsoft Word that allows you to dictate to the system. Yeah. And you can speak in your own vernacular and they keep on adding more and more languages. You have ability to translate a document from one language to the other. And they're doing a much better job than what Google has been able to do on Google Translate. Similarly, now you have AI capabilities in Microsoft Excel, where rather than having to learn and write formulas and queries, you can simply ask a natural language question, for example, on the lines of, who are my top five customers in the month of January in the South region? And it will automatically handle all the workload and do the analysis and give me the result. You know, and these are significant changes because this just sort of turns on its head the way organizations have been taught to analyze data. This is like a 95% reduction in the amount of time it takes. Why haven't we seen these changes happening before 2020? Because really, technology was not at a place wherein they could roll this out to a global scale. And I think this is the year when, uh, you know, we would really see the shifts happening. And I think rather than industries using or not using data, I think everybody is going to use it. The way they are going to use data is going to have a big impact. I would not be surprised if investors would now start asking, you know, prospective um, uh, guys who are pitching to them, not just the fact that what is the technology that you have purchased off the shelf, but how are you using it? I think that's, that would be the important question. Yeah, I think very rightly put there. Um, you know, Havish, you worked, you've handled projects for the Ministry of Tourism, the World Bank, Business World, Economic Times. So you've been around the data market for a very long time, you know, uh, in academics and market research, in analytics, and now you've set up your own firm. So, you know, while working with these players, is there a pattern that you've seen that what is the biggest problem that companies face with their data right now? You can look at different industries and um, you can very categorically put them into different buckets. For example, if you look at the media industry, for a very long time, the media industry worldwide resisted 
shifting online you know they they did not like the concept that they will put their content online and then other people can copy it but you know what that change happened and now you see that there are so many of these uh, journals and newspapers worldwide that earn more money from their online subscriptions compared to their print ones india interestingly is talking a little bit more about the media sector because that's where i've done a lot of work um interestingly in india india is only one of the big countries in the world where the print advertising is actually increasing every year while you see that in other countries more developed countries the print advertising is declining every year in india because it's still a very nascent market you know there is so much that companies can still do the penetration level is so low you see that advertising revenues coming from print are actually increasing every year because more and more readers are coming in um the media industry has not really been known to be very data savvy uh, they are more on the aesthetics and the content but if you look at the sort of work that india today is doing now i think they were one of the first firms that really stepped into the data game and they realized that other than having the reporters on the field doing the interviews the way that they can capture the data and present it with different insights is going to be something that helps them set themselves apart and that's something they're doing really really well that's a great example um, you know pushing in like dialogue room is a modern media startup right and it's completely digital right uh, we very quickly realized that say in the coming years print may not be as big even though you're saying right now you know ad revenues coming from print and i back you up on that because you don't see a lot of people via podcasts or newsletters advertising their products that's still you know saved for print media but uh, pushing into the media field and say you know you worked a bit in it what would be you know what would you say would your top ways would be that a media firm can a protect their data as well and their content and b use data in the right way in media i think uh... for media content is king and customer is king so i think it all boils down to how you're tracking your customers you know how you're understanding the possible addressable market so what we call the total addressable market how you're looking at customer loyalty how you're looking at any customer churn you know so you have a set of loyal listeners but you see that they're not really very loyal because they keep on switching you know sort of the content that they access i think you have to be very very particular about tracking all of this because uh, like we always say in marketing it's seven times more expensive to acquire a new customer compared to retaining an existing customer and i think that holds true earlier an organization would only have the ability of advertising you know you would come up with a print ad you would come up with some experiential marketing you would come up with a out of home billboard to make sure that customers still like your product but now data is going to empower you to do this and the way you are able to track your email campaigns the way you are able to do an a simple testing model to see which type of content is being preferred by the audience and then sort of generate more of that the way you are able to release content not as a flood but in intervals at the right time to the right audience in in the right volume i think that is where data can have a very big impact you know towards the end of the podcast havish i wanted to bring in the fact of there are a lot of consumers right of whose data is being used and shared um what would you sort of give say to them you know these are the people who are a little wary that hey my data is being shared my data is being collected or some actually just uh, you know don't actually read the fine print at all um how how do you feel this playing out we all have to we all have to learn to read the fine print because nobody else is going to do that for us 
and i've seen a lot of companies cut corners you know they will purchase a software because it's 10% cheaper than the more expensive one which offers better data security and you i mean if i had a dollar for every time i saw a client do this um but basically i think uh, organizations have now been pushed into a place wherein they have to be answerable to the audience at large and like i said earlier we don't have to be scared about it but we just have to be a little cautious about it and that basically means that we have to be responsible for our own data security we have to keep a tab on what type of platforms we are accessing uh, what type of platforms we are giving access to our information and um, you know i mean i hate to say it but really you can't expect the big giants of the industry to be responsible for all of this and that's the world we live in and i think um, that's that's the future we're going to see where customers are going to become more empowered they are going to become more knowledgeable and they are going to take more prudent decisions so what do you see the next 2 years now in data i think so artificial intelligence machine learning is going to have a big major long lasting impact the other is self um, service business intelligence i think the fact that people now can access the data and analyze it on their own without needing a structured guidance or a structured education i think that's exciting you know you now see that there are lots of students from um, tier 2 and tier 3 colleges who do courses online who who go to youtube or who do a course from multiple mooc and they are able to compete head on with students who are coming from iims and the xlrs and imts of the world and because i teach a lot of these b schools i always tell them be scared you have to be very scared because your college degree is only going to hold you so far because at the end of the day the company doesn't care about the degree that you have you know internationally so many organizations have been categorically saying that the degree doesn't matter anymore we only care about how you're able to hold yourself in an interview and whether you can solve these problems or not so i think the fact that uh, information and access to courses has become so transparent and easily available to everybody out there i mean for a 1000 rupees a month you can get access to 16000 courses on linkedin learning uh, it really depends on what path an individual chooses do you want to binge watch or do you want to binge watch educational content so i think um, the future will have a lot less attention being paid to degrees and a lot more being paid to the actual knowledge and experience that a person has that's so well put thank you so much avish for taking out the time and speaking to us on the dialogue now podcast today thanks everyone Thanks for tuning in in today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. This is Divya from Dialogue Room. Don't forget our podcasts are also available on Spotify, GeoSavan, Hubhopper, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Just type Dialogue Room and follow us. Thanks.